the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Sunday blessings to you. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection that begins a new week and offers a new opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the second Sunday of Lent. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God is the priest St. Jerome, one of the four great Western Fathers of the Church. He was born into an economically comfortable family around the year 345 in Striden, near the city of Imona, present-day Ljubljana, the capital city of Slovenia. Around the year 360, Jerome went to Rome and honed his study of Latin. During his studies, he befriended Rufinus, an important figure in early Christian writings, and also amassed an impressive library of Latin classics, which he pored over with intense study. While studying in Rome, he enjoyed a very worldly life, yet was intrigued by Christian texts and practices. In his commentary on the book of the prophet Ezekiel, Jerome writes, While I lived in Rome as a youngster and was being trained in the liberal arts together with others of my age and who shared a common purpose, I used to visit the tombs of the apostles and martyrs on Sundays and to enter the crypts frequently, where on either side of the visitors, bodies were buried in the walls, dug deep into the earth. St. Jerome was baptized in Rome in 366, but does not give us details of his conversion. Shortly after his baptism, he went to the city of Trier and there became acquainted with the ideals of Eastern monasticism. We know that in the year 374, he was living in Aquila in northern Italy with a small group of like-minded friends until disagreements drove them apart with Jerome heading to the desert, south of the city of Aleppo in Syria. It was here in the desert that Jerome became more proficient in Greek and Hebrew while living a very austere and ascetic life. In 382, Jerome was back in Rome and became secretary to Pope Damasus, 
who strongly encouraged and supported his efforts to provide a new Latin translation of the sacred scriptures, which became known as the Vulgate. When Pope Damasus died, Jerome traveled to the Holy Land and eventually settled in Bethlehem, where he lived until his death around the year 419. While in Bethlehem, he penned massive works on sacred scripture, as well as refuting many strains of the Arian heresy. The church fondly recalls the memory of St. Jerome each September 30th, noting his living and tender love for sacred scripture. For the saintly translator and commentator of scripture, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. This Sunday, we listen to an excerpt from his Homily 80 on the Gospel of Mark, wherein he ponders the transfiguration of Jesus proclaimed at Mass this Sunday. The blog description also contains a link to an article reflecting on the transfiguration of Jesus. And now, from Homily 80, on the Gospel according to St. Mark, St. Jerome speaks. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. After six days. Pray the Lord that these words may be expounded in the same spirit in which they were uttered. It came to pass six days days later. Why not nine days later? Why not ten, twenty, four, or five? Why not some number before or after? Why six? It came to pass after six days. They who are standing with Jesus, of whom he says, there are some of those standing here will not see the kingdom of God except after six days. Not until this world shall pass. That is the force of the six days shall the new kingdom appear. When the six days have passed, he who is Peter, that is, he who, like Peter, has received his name from the rock, Christ, will merit to see the kingdom. For by the same token that we are called Christians from Christ, Peter is named from the rock, Petrinos. If any of us shall be called Petrinos, and have such faith that the church of Christ may be built upon him, if anyone shall be as James and John, brothers, not so much in blood as in spirit. If anyone shall be Jacob and John, meaning favor of the Lord. For we shall merit the favor of Christ when we have supplanted our adversaries. If anyone shall have a more sublime doctrine and superior understanding, 
and deserve to be called the Son of Thunder, it is necessary that he be led by Jesus into the mountain. Consider, too, that as long as Jesus is down below, he is not transfigured. He ascends and is transformed. He led them up a high mountain, off by themselves, and was transfigured before them. And his garments became shining, exceedingly white as snow. To this very day, Jesus is down below for some and up above for others. They who are below, the crowd who cannot climb the mountain, have access to Jesus down below. Only the disciples can climb the mountain. The crowd remains below. If anyone, I say, is of the crowd, he cannot see Jesus in shining garments, only in soiled. If anyone follows the letter and is completely of the earth and looks at the ground in the manner of brute beasts, he is unable to see Jesus in a shining vestment. But for him who follows the word of God and ascends the mountain, climbs to the top. For him, Jesus is instantly transfigured and his garments shine exceedingly. Now, if we read and take all this literally, what is the value of shining, of white, of on high? If we ponder it spiritually, Holy Scripture, that is, the clothing of the Word, is transformed immediately and becomes as white as snow, as no fuller on earth can whiten. Take any prophetical witness, any evangelical parable. If you consider merely the letter, there is nothing shining in it, nothing white. If, however, you follow the Apostle with deep spiritual perception, immediately the clothing of the Word is changed and becomes white. Jesus is completely transformed on the mountain, and his garments become exceedingly white as snow, as no fuller on earth can whiten. The earthly man cannot whiten his garments, but he who abandons the world and ascends the mountain with Jesus, and meditating, mounts to heavenly contemplations, that man is able to make his garments white, as no fuller on earth can do. Someone may say to me, although he may not be able to say it actually, but be thinking it within himself, you have given us the meaning of the mountain. You have discussed the word of God. You have called the garments Holy Scripture. Tell me, who these fullers are who cannot make garments as white as those of Jesus? It is the work of fullers to whiten what is soiled, and they cannot do that except without great effort. They have to tread upon dirty garments, wash them, expose them to the sun, 
for not without much toil do garments that are soiled become white. Plato deliberately set out, and Aristotle too, and Zeno, the founder of Stoicism, and Epicurus, the advocate of pleasure, to whiten their sordid doctrine with dazzling white words. They could not, however, make garments as white as those of Jesus on the mountain, because they were of earth. Their treatises are all of earth. No fuller, therefore, no arbiter of secular literature could fashion garments such as Jesus possesses on the mountain. There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Until they had seen Jesus transfigured, until they had seen his white garments, they could not see Moses and Elijah. They were talking with Jesus. As long as we limit our perception and follow only the letter that kills, Moses and Elijah are not talking with Jesus. They do not know the gospel. If, however, they shall have followed Jesus and have deserved to see the Lord transfigured with his white garments and to penetrate the sacred scriptures with spiritual insight at once, Moses and Elijah come, that is, the law and the prophets, and talk with the word. There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. The Gospel according to Luke adds, They spoke to him of his death, which he is about to fulfill in Jerusalem. That is what Moses and Elijah are discussing, and they speak with Jesus, that is, with the Word, and announce to him what he is going to suffer in Jerusalem. For the law and the prophets proclaim the passion of Christ. Do you see how the spiritual interpretation benefits our soul? Moses and Elijah, notice, also appear in white garments. As long as they are not with Jesus, they do not have white garments. If you should read the law, which is Moses, and the prophets, which is Elijah, and do not appreciate them in Christ, nor comprehend how Moses and Elijah speak with Jesus, but accept Moses and Elijah without him, and do not perceive that they are announcing to him the passion, then Moses and Elijah do not ascend the mountain, nor do they have white garments, but those that are still soiled. If you follow the letter, what I ask, does it profit you? But if you have spiritual discernment, do you see how the soiled garments of Moses are made white? Peter, James, and John, who had seen Moses and Elijah before without Jesus, now that they have seen them in white garments talking with him, realize that they are themselves on the mountain. Truly, we are standing on the mountain with them, 
when we understand the scriptures spiritually. If I read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, as long as I read carnally, I seem to be down below. But if I grasp their spiritual significance, I am climbing to the top of the mountain. You see, therefore, how Peter, James, and John recognize that they are on the mountain in the discernment of the Spirit, and despise, therefore, the lowly and human, and long for the lofty and divine. They do not want to descend to the earth, but to remain holy with the spiritual. Peter addressed Jesus, saying, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. When I read Holy Scripture and appreciate something more sublimely in the spiritual sense, neither do I want to descend, to come down to the lowly. I want only to build in my heart a tabernacle for Christ, the law, and the prophets. But Jesus, who came to save that which had been lost, not to save saints, but those who are in sin, knows that if the human race is to be on the mountain, mankind will not be saved unless he descends to the earthly. Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Were there no trees on that mountain? Besides, even if there were trees and garments, do we suppose that Peter wished to build them a tent in order that they might dwell there? Nothing else? No. He wanted to set up three tents, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, with the result that he was separating the law and the prophets and the gospel, a thing which cannot be done. He actually says, let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Oh, Peter, even though you have ascended the mountain, even though you see Jesus transfigured, even though his garments are white, nevertheless, because Christ has not yet suffered for you, you are still unable to know the truth. Someone may say to the Lord, I shall set up a tent for you and similar tents for your servants. Whenever the unequal are equally honored, the greater suffers wrong by comparison. Let us set up three tents. Three apostles were on the mountain and they wanted to set up three tents. There was Peter. There were James and John. One wants to take one tent, another, another, the third, the third. He certainly did not realize what he was saying when he was conferring honor upon the servants equally with the Lord. There is indeed but one tent for the gospel, the law and the prophets. Unless they dwell together, they cannot 
be in harmony. Saint Jerome of Bethlehem, pray for us. Let us pray. O God, who have commanded us to listen to your beloved Son, be pleased, we pray, to nourish us inwardly by your word, that, with spiritual sight made pure, we may rejoice to behold your glory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord.